Welcome back, everybody, to the Brubble Podcast. I'm your host, Simon, and this podcast collects voices and perspectives from in and around the Brussels bubble. As any child, I was in love with the space race and anything space-related, something that seemed to end as quick as it started. But today, it's picking back up. To those who are in the know, and increasingly the general public, space has been heating up in the past few decades to become a key domain once again. And this time, it's not fully for exploration, but critically, communication as well. So, how important is space today? How will this shape our lives? And, especially important for ourselves in this podcast, where is the EU and our famed regulatory agenda in all of this? So, joining me to explore the galaxies and constellations of information this topic today is Leia. How are you doing, Leia? Very good, thank you. <laughs> yeah, how are you feeling? I, I don't know how... I mean, you were recovering this weekend. I suppose you might have caught, caught the football game or nothing. Yes, I did see it. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting result. I'm glad you're not, I suppose you're not French, so no I'm tears. not, so I'm very happy with Messi's win. And it was broadcasted from the, you know, the arrays of space from all around the world. The highest viewership ever, I believe. Yeah, I mean, no wonder. They have great infrastructure there, and uh, there was a lot of hype around it as well, judging by its location. Yeah, well, I sneaked in a reference to space here already. I'm trying to not like, make too many like bad space puns, but I'm, I'm sure one or two will Please slip do. out. <laughs> but like, can you start with telling us a bit about who you are? Uh, you know, what you do in life, how you found in Brussels. Then we'll kind of like dive into what you do in life, I suppose, or your expertise. So, um, getting into space was a complete accident for me. I studied security and defense, and I always thought I'd head into that sector because I really wanted to be a young woman in a very white male middle-aged dominated <laughs> field. Uh, and I've pulled a bit of a tangent out of, as I said, pure accident. Um, I went to a career fair and there was a lady standing at the PWC booth. And after giving all my CVs, she looked bored. I was out of CVs. So we had a conversation and uh, one thing led to another. I ended up working for the team and I was working with engineers and space scientists and people that were so knowledgeable about this sector and my older brother, he is the one who is in love with space ever since he was younger. And so the idea was never too far. And the more I got into it, the more I saw the synergies between all the security and defense that I'd studied, but also so many tangents to technology and sustainability and emerging ideas and new opportunities. And I saw the conversation awakening again. And I came back to Brussels hoping actually to start an internship for NATO, which never came to fruition because it took them too long to do my security clearance. So yeah, that's a tricky one. Get that started early. And so I ended up getting back in touch with some people I met through career fairs, through my master's, and found APCO. And when I joined APCO, I was put on the sustainability and financial services teams, and it was not for me. So I decided to get back in touch with my space roots or lack of roots because there's no roots in space and put a few satellites and feelers out and started creating the work in that area. And I saw parallels with what's happening here in Brussels and the conversation coming up again, but in a whole different nature and dynamic. And I really wanted to capitalize on that. And so start going to more events and... Long story short, uh, here I am in Brussels leading the space work in APCO. I have a wonderful team with whom I work with and some great clients and opportunities that are continuing to roll in and touch different sectors. So, yeah, it's very exciting. 
Yeah, it's interesting how a lot of people I have in here just all start in that, you know, IR focus, security studies focus domain, and then shift gradually out to like all like the corners of the specializations and fields. So for you, I guess, what has been the biggest lesson so far you've learned or biggest, you know, change of mindset you've taken into this new expertise? Um, oh, that's difficult. I think uh, I didn't pay space that much mind before. I always thought that it was a very either only governments or NGOs and research. And I wanted to get into more nitty gritty kind of policy, the details, what's going on, how's the world being shaped. And I didn't realize that space is so much of an enabler and it's everywhere in our daily lives. You can't function today without having some sort of connection to one or the other asset in space or it being mobilized on the ground um, and I, the more I learned, the more I wanted to get more engaged and, and get further into it. Yeah, it always takes my breath away about how quick we evolved into space as, I guess, oh, humanity. Because yeah. it's, I mean, less than a hundred, just over a hundred years ago now was the first flight of man. And from mm-hmm. there to now, every aspect of our lives just bouncing up and down. Yeah. It's crazy. It makes me stop and appreciate, I suppose. It's good too, yeah. Yeah. But in this podcast, we're not stopping, but we are appreciating. We're going to be looking a bit and exploring a bit how space already plays a part in our lives and how it will continue to evolve over the coming years, especially here in the Brussels bubble. Space isn't always a topic quite as sexy as traveling to the moon or Mars. There are hardcore connectivity, you know, infrastructure elements to that. And that's what the future of space, I think, will look like as you're going to elaborate on, I suppose. And... In that sense, there's a lot more at stake than we initially believe. Or is it just, or is it actually all rockets and space stations? Leia, take me back <laughs> <It's> to reality. <laughs> um, no, keep floating on that. Uh, we're going to keep making these puns. It's, it's going to be good. No, it definitely is that. But I think one of the other developments when it comes to the space sector is it's becoming more popular again, but in a different dynamic, especially if we look at what's happening in the EU bubble to be topical here, you see MEPs that have previously not been familiar or engaged on the subject now speaking more about it and drawing parallels to the work that they're doing on respective files. You see that DGDEFIS was created. Um, USPA, which is the Space Policy Program Agency, was rebuilt. It used to be the GNSS. And now it has a bigger mandate. It works on procurement. So you, you see such a shift let alone in Europe, and you see other nations like in Africa building those capabilities. But the infrastructure part of space has been there a long time, and the research and the work has always been there. I feel like we forgot a little bit about it. We got lost on so many other developments, but it's been consistent and growing, and I'm super excited to see it as part of a more mainstream conversation um, now, not just in the bubble, but but wider as well. Um, and I think it's it's definitely positioning Europe, or it's a work on positioning Europe more in the sector. Definitely, because I even remember back in the early like two thousands or late two thousands, sorry, reading about you know the popular science like future space stuff, and they were all about you know mining asteroids, mm-hmm. and even the connectivity part wasn't mentioned barely at all there, which is kind of crazy. But I guess here we are. So, Leia, you work a bit in the connectivity part, but not only connectivity part. 
what I want to do here is go over, I guess, three or four of the most important themes you talk about mm-hmm. or work in. And then for each, let's explore them a little bit. What does this theme mean? What implications will we have? What is at stake and what will we see to come? For sure. Um, well, as you mentioned, I think definitely connectivity. And that's with the new uh, regulation, Iris 2 or Iris Squared or Iris. <laughs> I never know how to say it right. So that, that that's grown uh, and that's built on a legacy of kind of, I mean, telecommunications and communication networks being really important. But now we're also talking about faster Internet, more access to parts of the world that were previously not connected. And space is a great enabler for that, where terrestrial networks might not always be the best option, which is something the space sector has been saying for a while, like satellite operators mm-hmm. have been there, but it hasn't been as accepted Uh, And now you see terrestrial telcos kind of balance that out. So I think connectivity is one of the biggest conversations that changed. We also have space data, and that comes from Earth observation satellites, for example, just giving us an ability to monitor what happens on the planet, for example, like track uh, climate change and natural disasters and help us be more informed. Um, Of course, then there's the commercialization of space. That's not just thanks to Elon Musk, but a big part to it as well. Um, And that has enabled us faster, better access to space. You have more uh, research being done as well. And then one of my other favorite topics is space cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. And that's not just talking about, so now we have all these assets and all these new systems and everything's up there, but how do we protect them? And what does protection mean in space? And it's not just military. I mean, quite literally in all aspects. And we see that we're really ahead of ourselves and this harmonious space sector doesn't always mean we have everything fit and sorted. Yeah, very interesting because it's it's very much like when we think of topics like space connectivity and I mean even further to like the space cybersecurity, which I guess enable space connectivity to happen and even like the, the sending up stuff, uh, commercialization, sorry, yes. <laughs> that also enables this connectivity to happen. Why do you think space is such an important domain beyond just uh, the ability to be removed from, I guess, the physical on-Earth infrastructure? Is it just because it can do stuff faster, can do stuff better? or? I think it's, it's like another leg to your body. You probably can use it, mm-hmm. um, and it does enable things faster and better. I just, I mean, to sound cheesy, it is another frontier. It's another enabler. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it can compensate for what we have on Earth, but it complements and it brings us further. It expands our knowledge, our capabilities, our access, our connections, our understanding, and and that's what's so useful about it. It's a it's a good to have. We should be protecting it. Yeah, very much so. Did you think that the evolution of like you mentioned a second ago is it natural that it's going to space now, or is this kind of unprecedented? Because as I was saying, back in the early two thousands, it was all about asteroids and oh yeah, and everything um, else. The thing is, as well, we always have to look at how communication around space has changed. I have to say this as a comms person. Um, You know, we had access to space in the first kind of just somebody on the moon and Mm -hmm. getting out there and seeing what the blueberry looks like. Um, And then, but now, for example, human space flight and that we, we... kind of just take it for granted. We know that there's astronauts in the ISS. So then it was like, okay, we have this covered. What else can we do? And that's where it starts getting interesting. So I think it's it's a natural, very human progression in our thirst for knowledge, in our want to expand, in our 
willingness to conquer new worlds. Um, because it, I, I say that it sounds grandiose, but it really is that. Yeah, because it's kind of funny when you mention it like that. Because when you think of oh, I do space policy, mm -hmm. the average like I mean like five year old in me is like oh, so you do rockets and new planets and building space stations, but. That's not exactly what you do in your work. You're very much, then again, again, focused on the communications, the critical infrastructure, cybersecurity aspect, which is very similar to what, what my colleagues do here at, at Microsoft. It's, mm -hmm. it's quite interesting how that parallels. So in one sense, <laughs> you may be just disappointed that your job isn't as glamorous as, you know, the 1960s <laughs> and 1950s, the retrofuturism, had you believe? Oh, um, sometimes, yes. Uh, it is... It's funny, when people ask me what I do, when I say I'm a space lobbyist, I kind of like point up to help. <laughs> um, and and they, don't, they don't know what it means. And, and the initial questions are all gonna be about like, yeah, what about astronauts and everything? And that's definitely part of it. But where it fits in our conversation and where what I do fits is, I wanna make sure that the market develops, that we have an open market, that we have the ability to you know, build on small technologies. We see also big growth in SMEs and startups, primarily in Europe, uh, which is good. I mean, not only, but it's expanding. And I feel like that's a fantastic mindset. Um, and so it isn't maybe as glamorous as, as taking over Mars, but the technologies and the clients that I work for, or the clients I want to get, or the sector is always connected to those grandiose exciting <laughs> themes like even if you talk to you know a software developer that that builds software for satellites that satellite could then be upgraded to be used for a mars exploration or if you look at all the the hubble telescope or james webb all of it on one point it's a boring project on the other end it's the next step yeah it's funny you mentioned europe's role in this though um because i i I know Europe is advanced in certain, like, uh, you know, some of the more advanced science fields, but you specifically mentioned that Europe is somewhat of a leading role in SMEs, space exploration, not space exploration, but space communication. Do you want to elaborate a bit on that? Like, how has Europe emerged to be at this point in the space frontier? Yeah, I mean, European states have, some of them, have always been leading, keeping up with space race or any, any developments. Uh, there's a lot of technology being generated here and a lot of it space as well is a typically very collaborative sector. So the ISS, for example, wouldn't have been funded if it wasn't for all of those states coming together. I mean, you have a Russian module, you have American astronauts, you have Japanese ones, European ones going up. We use a Soyuz rocket to send astronauts and not only so. It's fun when you when you think about how everything kind of comes together. But Europe now more so is realizing that it has to keep up and produce more to stay relevant. And I think this fits into way of the bigger debate on strategic autonomy and access and European knowledge and leadership. So on one hand, European states are a leader. But on the other hand, they have to be doing these moves now because they're actually kind of lagging uh, or at the detriment of maybe lagging. Mm. It's definitely one of those sectors. I, I mean, I suppose in the recent moves of Wonder Lane, she's really propping up the, the, chip, the CHIPS Act to really work on our chip sector. And I think space has been discussed in the past. But has it been that focal point to the European plans? And should it be in your opinion? 
Oh, definitely. I think it's great that we're having more of a focus, but I, I want to make a distinction. Mm-hmm. There's EU, yeah. then there's European member states, as in Europe, yeah. the continent, and then you have European Space Agency. Mm-hmm. You got differences amongst them all. <clears throat> so the European Union in and of itself is new, kind of, as an actor in the space arena. Traditionally, everything happened through the European Space Agency, where you have member states there that are not the same as EU member states. And that dynamic has changed now. And that's why it's interesting to be looking at this. And that's why my job's fun. Because you had projects primarily done and led by ESA. And ESA as more of the space exploration, research, development. But now we're concerned about our industries. And for example, connectivity, the IRIS program is a result of ongoing communications and discussions for building these assets, for needing these assets, not just because SpaceX has stuff up there and China has its own system and we should probably play into that, but because we need to go to the next step in our own development. So the European Union's agenda to include more space is fantastic. The dynamic and the balance between EU, European members, and ESA is where it gets fun and tricky. But I don't want to go ahead of myself in (laughs) the conversation. No, no, it's fine, because I think this is a very interesting point to leave it at, because when most people think of space, they don't, they just think of, oh, people are behind it. They don't think of the minutiae of, I mean, then again, same thing of European policy, right? Most people don't know the trifecta of actors, which all form it and make it, make it happen. And it's always quite fascinating to me where the European Union then sees itself, because it's not particularly creating the European rocket in that sense, right? It's more about, I guess, overseeing what the other actors are doing and make sure that happens fair, you know, safe, uh, in, a, in a good manner. The, the regulatory powerhouse, we like to call ourselves. <laughs> Very much. Yeah, I, I think kind of heading on our line on, on connectivity as being one of the showboats. So we have... We had the EU space regulation, which was adopted Mm -hmm. uh, not long ago, very short, actually. And that's where I feel that EU space policy, away from the traditional projects, was really like, oh, we got to be developing some infrastructure. We got to be coordinating some EU member state activity and complement ESA's activity. We need another avenue and we need to be ambitious, which is great. And the EU is, as you know, its own animal and has its own ways of working and ideas. Uh, So there's a bit of friction. And one of the results of those ideas is the new IRIS constellation. For context, so the IRIS uh, secure connectivity, space-based secure connectivity constellation is a low Earth orbit or LEO Uh, communications constellation. So it'll be a set of satellites that will provide us with communications capabilities, which will branch across Europe and also into Africa. Now, um, it does, it's pretty much split into kind of government communications, which will be used for secure communications across EU member states um, and any sort of kind of special projects, high security information, and then you also will have a commercial side. Um, And that commercial side can be for providing people like you and me with access to faster, better internet uh, Mm -hmm. and across channels. And it's, it's adding on to our terrestrial capabilities. And 
Here you see EU having more actorness, more agency. Ooh, I swear all my professors it's coming back to me. Um, more activeness and more agency in the sector. It's actually funny because previously uh, the EU wasn't allowed, well, yeah, wasn't allowed to sit on international level discussions on space because it wasn't an actor in its own right. Uh, you had ESA, which had every right. It was collaborating with the rest, but the EU, not so much. So I think a lot of it is as well the EU saying, okay, listen, we have all of this technology. We're coordinating so many activities. Space is a research and a collaborative forum. There's no reason why we shouldn't be. Um, yeah. Especially given their, their technological ambitions in recent years, with all their oh, technological yeah. legislations and regulations, this is just an, an extension in some parts of their current, you know, looks at connectivity in more of the terrestrial uh, oh, yeah. realm. Do, do you think that they're on time with this, though? Is the EU playing catch-up now? On this, yeah. So mm. one of the main reasons for why Europe is working on this connectivity is because in the Ukraine war, well, Russia's aggression on Ukraine, um, Elon Musk swooped in, well, Starlink swooped in, and yeah. said, we're going to provide the secure communications that you need. And there was a moment where people who didn't even know that much about space or care that much were like, this is our partner, we should be able to help them, where's our support, where's our infrastructure, why can't we do this? And I feel like that situation got to the heart of how the EU feels of its power, of its role, of its support towards other countries, towards neighboring states. And it had to have a hard look at itself and go, okay, we're actually lacking all of this. And that was one of the motivations to push to create this constellation. The constellation was created extremely quickly. The legislative process for that <laughs> this past year has been super fast. And I think with that comes some danger because the EU is a little behind and then to play catch up it had to transgress this really quickly but i personally feel it didn't adequately take into account the already massively existing projects infrastructure companies collaborations with other countries other systems other actors and i feel like the conversation Mm -hmm. in the EU to make sure this is a European project, while I'm, as a European, supportive of that message, I also feel like it doesn't really bench on all the synergies and capabilities that we should be leaning on, and I'm, I'm worried it's doing it a bit too independently. Interesting. Lingering slightly on the Russian war of aggression in Ukraine, mm -hmm. were there any other incidents, maybe in this war, maybe in other conflicts, that really, to you, like highlighted the need for space in 2022? I mean, um, so you had you had a lot of dynamics. It's not just about what happened. It's about what we realized we needed. Russia was one of the strategic partners that Europe had benched on when it comes to launching. So we use their rockets and the Baikonur base, um, and we just don't have access to that anymore. And mm. one of the biggest issues we're now facing in Europe is access to space. Yeah. We have the French Guiana where we launch, but that's just not enough. And when you want to put thousands of satellites up there, uh, you can't wait for whenever you got a free spot to launch. And, you know, so I think we realized that our ambitions need structure and we're lacking the structure for how ambitious we want to be and the situation in ukraine and russia i only say that because it started as well in the beginning 
Um, but you can even use COVID as an example for why we need better, faster, more connected kind of people, infrastructure, jobs, whatever it is. You can also talk about Earth observation satellites enabling us to better manage sustainability targets. So that fits for the Green Deal, fit for 55. So as I said, there's copious amounts of applications. It doesn't take a crisis to realize what we need, but it took a crisis for us to lose access and assets and have to build these ourselves to compensate. Yeah, very fascinating because I always remember you can only really launch a rocket in a certain zone basically where it, the best place in the atmosphere you're yeah. signaling just about i'm <laughs> just really about. the layman's definition here no that's but that's it's fine. it's fascinating how that impacted how we in europe have access to space it's kind of crazy thing because it's right above us right so how you can think, we get there right? yeah exactly as you said you just point up hmm. yeah, i think it only takes if you were to take a car and drive straight up it would take a few hours huh that's kind of i gotta fact check that one but yes no, that makes sense, though, because it's like 16 kilometers or something, 18? Well, there's the Kármán line, which defines what space is. So those commercial flights that you've seen, the space tourism flights, mm-hmm. most of them haven't gone past the line. So they're just suborbital. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm crushing dreams. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I never want to get swooped up by uh, Jeff Bezos and, you know, awkwardly thrust up and then thrust back down <laughs> for a PR photo. Not Have you seen me. his rocket, though? I don't I want to keep this PG, but uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's it great. looks it's interesting. Very good. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's quite funny. I, I then again, I mean, different note, but I, I'm not too fond of you know space capitalists all coming in and treating as their romance project. But then again, if it gets the funding, I mean, I would go to space. Would you for tourism? Yeah, hundred percent. I've thought about it. I mean, this could be the fun question for the end, is what I always say. But like, for me, it's always. Sure, I'd like to see it, but beyond that, I'd just go back. Like, it's just, it's kind of like going to the Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. Once is nice. The next time you go there, it's for the attractions around it. Yeah, fair. But those th- will come. Maybe I'm just too pessimistic about this. <laughs> but we were talking a little bit about, you know, conflict in a sense. But part of what, you know, conflict generates is races. And the space race is one of the best, you know, two letter things smushed together I know of. Mm-hmm. Is the space race back on? to kind of round us out. Oh boy, I don't know if I can say it ever ended, to be honest with you. Um, I think now it's about, the space race is a bit different for everyone. Now you have these tech trends, the way you and I and everybody learned it, we see them in space. And so we have to start reconsidering how we use space, but also what we use from space. And we're starting to see new issues pop up as a result to that. Um, so the race can be who gets the most data and can download it and process it if we can build AI to do that. Is it just getting your assets up there? Is it getting dual use kind of military and civil properties? And then the race as well is for all of our assets to remain up there and safe because one of the things I didn't mention, but probably should have, is space traffic management. And that's a really big problem. If you have all these new LEO constellations coming up, you have thousands of satellites up there. We're not at the WALL-E level junk in space stage, but Mm. we could be. And one tiny screw of a satellite can threaten a lot of assets. And we need to be really responsible with what we put in space, 
how we use space, so space sustainability, is also the next race to be considering. Interesting, interesting. And how do you think, I mean, considering this is probably the last episode in 2022 I'm recording, Mm -hmm. how do you think this is going to impact our, you know, look to 2023? Will there be any breakthrough issues that we as casual observers should keep our mind on? Yes, absolutely. So (laughs) the next thing will be implementation, uh, tendering and opening of the secure connectivity. So Iris 2 constellation. So now we're starting to talk about who's going to build it, how we're going to build it. But then there's a few more themes coming up. Um, There's the space and defense strategy. Space and cybersecurity is going to come up as well. We're talking about space data. Work on that. And this is just EU bubble stuff. Then we have more international trends when it comes to um, militarization of space or maybe the lack thereof, but I'm a little more pessimistic on that. Um, So I think the, the link between security, space, and then keeping it collaborative, those are the thematic trends that I think are going to build next year and i mean if anything breaks through i'm sure i'll let you know we might have you on to shed some more light on any new developments that happen there more than happy to yeah but we're not done yet uh before we wrap up we always have a bit you know less substantive like fun personal question which i alluded Mm -hmm. to i mean we kind of answered in the middle do you want to go to space i could you know throw the other one in there what kind of christmas stocking stuffer do you want (laughs) I know it's a very American <laughs> term. And we were talking about things you wanted for Christmas beforehand, yes. but they were in the, you know, multiple hundred dollar price range. But what small item do you want for your stocking? Small item. Honestly, I just want to expand my little uh, space statue collections. I have like a little rocket mm. of the of the Vega C rocket, which is really cute. Um, those things go for, for quite a bit, but I, I love them. <laughs> you know, just a little memento. Yeah, one great thing about space is if the best souvenirs. In oh, that sense. the best! Oh my gosh! Like we were talking about going to space, the one reason to go would be the souvenir shops. I think because it's all like the everybody <laughs> so likes. I mean, sure, <laughs> not thinking about it that way, but I mean, when you go to like Niagara Falls, what are you gonna do? Build like a waterfall? Mm-hmm. It's like no, but in space you can build the rockets, you can build like the astronaut suit, you could yeah. do that. It's so cool. Or a tiny space rock. Yeah. Like a little asteroid. But then there's a lot of scams in that, too, I will say. It's like the one in Amsterdam they had, like, I think this year, where their asteroid, their prized possession, which, I mean, I probably saw and I was glamorizing over, turned out to be fake. Yeah, sad. Moon rocks. Do you know there's ashes in space, by the way? Ashes? Literally. Yes, they send dead people up there. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. yeah I don't know how much money you got to pay for that launch, but... Yeah, I think, uh, I think the founder of Doritos got shot up there. I think he did. I'm not sure. But I think they burned his body. Either, I think that, I have to fact check it, but either way I'm leaving it in. It's your Google fact of the day. That would be funny. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know why I noticed. But uh, wrapping up, Leia, is there anything that people should follow to stay in touch with you? Uh, anything they can find you on if they want to stay up to date in the latest space EU bubble news? Yes, for sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I think you'll probably include my name. So Yeah. So yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, uh, although I'm not really the best at that platform, and it's a question on that. Um, but yeah, I'm probably the best to approach at the January Space Conference here in Brussels, 24, 25 of January. And then I will be speaking at the AITS Bremen Conference end of February on space cybersecurity. Sweet. Well, I'll look at maybe buying a ticket for that. So or It's free. 
There we go. Even better. <laughs> but yeah. Well, Leah, thanks for having us on or having thanks for coming on to this episode. It was an out of the world experience, I will say. But now we're back landing in reality. And I think that's it for today. Thank you, Simon. That was a lot of fun. No worries. And everybody listening, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>